Hi, this is Liu Zhang. I'm the founder and managing partner of Fusion Fund. We're a VC firm based in Silicon Valley and Palo Alto, focused on investing early stage startup founder doing innovation in deep tech and healthcare. To me, Femitech is the innovation and the development in healthcare industry, providing better, faster, and cheaper care to women in all stages of their life. Innovation in Femitech now really gives us more options to better monitor women's health, providing better diagnostic results, and also personalize the treatment plan. Really address all the issues we're encountering in this market, both focus on both women's mental health and physical health. It's a huge underserved market, and also we're very happy to deploy more capital and supporting more great founder, providing solution to serve a better quality of life to women. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and before we start today's episode, I want to thank you all. Thank you, Femtech founders that contributed to the Stack the Deck for Femtech campaign. Out of 1,000 Femtech startups globally, over 350 of you finished it. Thank you from the bottom of my femme fan heart. We are diligently working on our end-of-year landscape report, and it'll come out soon. If you're not subscribed to our newsletter yet, do so, so you'll know when it comes out. Go to femtechfocus.org and subscribe today. Alrighty, so in today's episode, I interview Lu Zhang, the founder and managing partner of Fusion Fund. Lu is a renowned Silicon Valley-based investor, a serial entrepreneur, and a Stanford engineer alumni. Lou was recently selected as one of the best 25 female early stage investors by Business Insider. The Fusion Fund, which is <clears throat> The Fusion Fund, which closed its third fund at $125 million, invests in founders innovating in deep tech and healthcare, with a focus on seed and Series A stage companies in North America. In this interview, we discuss what venture funds want to see in femtech startups, common mistakes, and Lou's biggest advice. This is a great opportunity for an inside look at how VC is thinking about femtech investments. Learn more about the fund at fusionfund.com. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Lou, welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to have you. Uh, we were just talking about little dogs. What are your dogs' names? Yeah, my dog, one called uh, Kepler, another is Sugar. Kaplan Sugar, that is so fun. What, is, what does Kaplan stand for? Like, what was in the inspiration for that name? Actually, Kepler is the name of a super famous scientist. And uh, really, yeah, it's very famous for lots of the work he did, uh, study and research in the universe. Uh, So you can tell it's a very nerdy name. I hope my little uh, Kepler could become a super smart lady in the future. (laughs) Lou, I already know we're going to be friends because my dog's names are Quark, like the physics term for smallest particle known. (laughs) 
I just call yep. him Q. And then my other dog's name is Tripson, like the enzyme. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're so going to get along so well. <laughs> we're on the same wavelength. Uh, well, that is so fun. I already can see commonalities between us, but I'd love our listeners to learn a little bit more about your background and your personal journey. Um, you know, we'll get to the femtech stuff, but we always kind of love to hear like how, where you're from, you know, what did you study? What'd you do? And how did you end up doing what you do now? So just give us a little brief overview. Yeah, happy to. So I'm actually originally from uh, Inner Mongolian. So I'm also considered as a minority there. So I have, I'm half Mongolian, half Manchurian. And I came to United States in 2010 for graduate school. <coughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. So I came to United States for graduate school in 2010. So I went to Stanford basing and landed in Silicon Valley and stayed here since then. So when I was studying at Stanford, my research was in material science and engineering. Uh, so I'm very nerdy in the heart. I'm a really <laughs> hardcore engineer. I did lots of research. One of my patent technology had an application for diagnostic of type 2 diabetes. With the support of, of uh, my advisor and also the school, I became a solo founder when I was 20, 21 years old and uh, had my first transition from a, a material scientist to an entrepreneur. So after I graduated from Stanford in parallel, I was running my company. I uh, pushed my company to the next stage and eventually sold it to Boston Scientificate. So that was my whole journey. I would say miserable life as a solo founder, but a super rewarding, <laughs> yeah, super rewarding uh, a journey as a founder. I grow so much in relative short period of time. And after I sold my company, you know, uh, uh, that's my second transition. I start to used a good financial return from the exit to support other deep tech and healthcare funder because lots of the VC at that time, they don't prefer to invest in anything related to deep tech and healthcare. Mm -hmm. And not to mention really understand the life cycle of it. So I was supporting other friends and so far I got a good return. I probably invested roughly 12, 13 company. I got four IPO, five merge acquisitions so far. But back then, yeah, yeah, your shooting average is fantastic. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. So for me, that was like a, a learning period. Okay. Seems like I could also be an investor to uh, make a huge impact and be able to do something differently. So fast forward in 2015, that's when I launched Fusion Fund. Based on my background, based on who I am, what I represent, we have a strong thesis and the differentiation from day one focused on deep tech healthcare. Meanwhile, I'm a minority female founder previously, so I definitely also want to support mm -hmm. founder with minority immigrant and the female background. So now we have uh, close to $300 million under management. I just had a new fund, Fund3, uh, launched and closed in early this year, $120 million new fund. Wow. So it's nice to have lots of dry powder uh, right before <laughs> the market crash. So now we're still <laughs> yeah. at yeah, we're still super active investing. So we're active looking for good founder in the market to work with and also be proactive supporting founder to grow their business uh, in this special time. Lou, what a story. I love it. I love immigrants. You know, for me, I believe that um, 
you know, early life adversity. So, you know, you're saying you're even a minority in Mongolia um, and then coming to the States, like that is all adversity that you had to overcome. And for me, it was childhood trauma. I'm a, a white woman, but uh, I grew up in a really conservative town and mm-hmm. lots of, you know, things that people just didn't talk about. And so I grew up with a lot of trauma and my, my surviving that was for me was my like overcoming adversity. Um, mm. And so I, I disappreciate appreciate your story and also your willingness and excitement to give back to, you know, people who, you know, are going to be rock stars, which are the diverse immigrant, the females, the, um, the life sciences as well. I don't see as many female investors investing in hardcore healthcare and life science. Do you find that as well? Yeah, unfortunately, that's also um, still the fact right now, even in the VC industry. Back in the day when I was a founder, I had so many challenges uh, trying to find an investor, understand uh, the deep tech and healthcare. And on the other side, don't really discriminate uh, minority or female founder. Now mm-hmm. we definitely have a better ecosystem, but still lots of work need to be done. And uh, another thing is I really... Don't like when people only talk about, oh, we're supporting, we're helping immigrant <laughs> minority female founder. I'm like, it's not only about, you know, supporting. They're also going to generate much better business <laughs> results. Yeah. They're going to help you make better investment results. So yeah. supporting female founder is not only social impact. It's actually try to address the big underserved market and be able to have much better financial return is helping out each other. So that's (laughs) that's the thing I've been trying to push. Yep. I love it. Well, you are known to have invested in a few femtech or women's health companies. Can you tell us about some of the companies in women's health you've invested in? Yeah, I could talk about the company I recently invested in focused on female healthcare called Cost Medical. It's a company Ooh. based in Toronto. So they're using 3D printing technology, uh, build personalized uh, pelvic device for unique body and different needs. I know when we talk about pelvic device, uh, most of people did not realize, okay, how big the problem it is. It's actually a huge, huge problem, especially for aging population, for elder women. But yeah. unfortunately, the current device we had is unique size. As a woman, we all know every single individual will have different size, different needs, and different preference. Why couldn't we just have a personalized device for every single of us to make us feel more comfortable? Another thing is make the device more effective. And meanwhile, this company also have an informatic platform, which also collects tons of the data, which could help women for for future personalized the diagnostic of other female related disease. I think that's also a very powerful platform. Consider we have very little capital really going to study what are the specific, you know, parameters for uh, female related disease when we're getting uh, older and older. If you look at the total number of NIH funding or National Science Foundation funding going to researching female related uh, disease is only 15%. Well, female is 50% of uh, population. So yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's really backwards. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is a, a really interesting company. I recently invested. It's a super early stage, but they already have a really good uh, clinical trial result. And also that's an example of the type of company we're focusing on that they have really 
uh, frontier technology enabled, and meanwhile also have a strong data play. Uh, they have an informatic platform and be able to really solve a bigger problem, create a platform play, and also provide more personalized uh, clinical level solution to female. Yep. Uh, if anyone wants to learn more about Cosm, that episode just aired. <laughs> so <laughs> go listen to Derek's interview. He's a great guy. And we talk about pessaries and all of those really interesting facts that you just brought up, but in great detail. So that is so awesome. You back Derek. He's uh, in Cosm Medical. It's a fantastic company. What, exactly. Um, kind of uh, deals excite you the most in femtech? You know, we have a lot of founders that listen to the show and they're thinking, oh my gosh, Lou loves femtech. I want to send her my deal. But, you know, investors, we have uh, a thesis. So what is what is your thesis specifically? What kind of femtech deals are you looking for? Yeah, thank you. So uh, we're looking for first, though, want to look at a company with a strong technology play and also better to focus on clinical level application. I know there are lots of the solution in the market is more direct to consumer. Uh, mm. Maybe we have too many of that. But fundamentally, we need a real solution as well. So that's the sector I've been mainly focusing on. And uh, meanwhile, specifically, for example, capital uh, uh, vertical area, I've been spending most of my time. The first vertical is really about mental disease, like dementia, mm-hmm. Alzheimer, all this uh, different type of mental disease uh, come along, not only with aging population, you know, the younger generation, the Teenagers, they're suffering much more mental problem mm-hmm. uh, compared with us because of all the social media give them yeah. lots of anxiety, depression issue. And now we have better technology be able to find so many different biomarker to give personalized diagnostic. And then we could do personalized treatment. And then we could have a digital therapeutic solution and to help people really uh, get some cure in earlier stage for both like a depression, anxiety, further to the dementia, Alzheimer. Yes. So that's one vertical. The second vertical is really related to fertility. Mm. Unfortunate with, uh, no matter it's a climate, environmental problem, pollution, food industry, uh, the pollution, the food industry, et cetera. Now we have a really, really big fertility issue for both actually men and women. And women probably have more than over 30% of a woman in around like 20, 30 years old had issue with getting pregnant. And for men, it's actually 25%. Uh, it's a really high ratio. Unfortunately, it's increasing. Uh, so any better technology related to fertility uh, is a really focus area for us. And meanwhile, related to women specifically, mm-hmm. help better monitor the pregnancy process and the post-pregnancy, how to better support women in terms of breastfeeding and further on to just uh, supporting the woman back to work uh, while still be able to stay in touch with the baby. That's also the area for us. And the last vertical is uh, really any solution related to menopause. I know there are lots of solutions on the market try to help us monitor the menopause, but only knowing that this uh this user is going through a certain symptom. It's not good enough. We are looking for <laughs> yeah, a good they're solution. They're like, um, right? yeah, I know yeah. I'm moody. Thanks for letting yeah. me know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So there's a, more and more solution came out from the small application. For example, how to help women went through menopause have a better sleep because, you know, they have heat rush during the night. They could not really have a good sleep. Yeah. Solution like that further to just a better solution uh, in terms of the treatment 
you know, there's a new technology called the synthetic bio could really help us uh, create a high concentrated potential supplement and medication, but by only purely based on the natural ingredient, then we'll be able to use that to better potential treat like menopause uh, for a huge group of women because all women are going to go through menopause. There are also more frontier technology I've been following that the potential could postpone the menopause probably for 10, 15 years. I think that's a big good news for women as well. Uh, so that's the three area we mean, we're mainly focusing on right now for female healthcare tech. I love all of this. I agree with a lot of it. I am often asked, Britt, you know, what needs innovating in femtech? And I always say diagnostics because we have this gaslit, you know, issue in our healthcare system where women are reporting symptoms. And if we had a diagnostic tool, then the physician, instead of just giving their opinion about whether or not the woman is being too sensitive or it's real or it's not real, there's a protocol and they would run the test and they would have results and they'd say, huh, look at that. You have this hormone imbalance or you have endometriosis or you have this or you have that, right? So I'm really big on functional diagnostic tools versus like, we don't need any more tampon companies. Um, Y'all, <laughs> we don't need them anymore. No more. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and I also recently learned that the sleep women lose during menopause is more biologically detrimental to women versus all the sleep that she loses in uh, during child, you know, bearing mm-hmm. years and her adolescence that it's that impactful. So hundred percent, totally on board with all that in the brain health, you know, you're talking about mental wellness, but also just yep. brain health, all of that disproportionately affects females. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you want a big exit, I mean, just look at the cardiac world with heart disease and, mm-hmm. you know, and I think about if we could create solutions specifically for female heart health, how big of an exit we could have. And then therefore how much, money we can then put back into more femtech deals. Yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, what are some mistakes that you see femtech founders making while fundraising? You know, I I don't we we're not here to just pat founders on the back, right? No more lip service. They get enough of that. I get enough of that. We want real candid feedback. So what's some mistakes that you see femtech founders making? Yeah, I would say the first mistake is uh, did not do enough research before reaching out to investor. Mm-hmm. As a former founder myself, I totally understand how frustrated the fundraising process could be. But on the other side, uh, there are also different ways to make the fundraising process more effective and efficient. I think mm-hmm. the first thing is really important is just to also do the research. It's like uh, as investor, we do due diligence on the founder. I think founders should also do some basic research mm-hmm. on the investor they're going to reach out and also yep. talk to. Yep. Because just as simply as you uh, ask the question you asked me at the beginning, right? Every single investor have a sector focus. For mm-hmm. example, for me, yes, I invest in female tech female tech, but I don't touch anything to consumer app. Mm-hmm. Then if founder did not know that they just brandly reach out and eventually it turns out to be, even if it's a great founder, it's not a good match for me, right? It's yeah. also a waste of time for her. Yeah. Uh, but on the other side, uh, I think another thing is uh, maybe it's uh, not only sector need worse the research. Another thing is also look at the previous company, uh, the investor mm-hmm. already invested be able to tell, okay, first, the whether your specific sector focus on company will be an interest of this investor. Second, whether there's any potential conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. If they already are lead investor and board member from one of the direct competitor, 
the chances for for them to consider invest will be very low. And also better not to talk to the investor or <laughs> major shareholder of your major competitor, right? So that's a very simple thing to do. It's first is the just do the research on the investor. Yeah. The second thing is Lou, may I ask it, you a quick question real fast about yeah. that actually? Um sure. Uh, I have an interesting question. I do not know the answer to, which is what if a fund has a direct competitor, but that competitor has exited and that fund got their money back Would then that be a good opportunity or still no, don't even talk to them because they're probably still friends with the company, but they made money off of it. So they know they could make money off of it. What do you think about that? Actually, that's a good question because that will create a different scenario. Uh If the company exits already, there's no potential conflict of interest. The conflict of interest is really happen when, you know, the investor is still a major shareholder and also sit on the board. I will know lots of information about this competitive company. Then, you know, there's conflict of information. But once the company exits, then they are afraid to invest in other company. There are no conflict information. And maybe the good part is they proven to be an expert in that sector. Yes, they probably exactly. have. Yeah. 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 Anyways, interesting. I had that thought last week and I said, huh, I actually don't know the answer to that. So interesting. <laughs> What's your uh, second piece of advice? Yeah. So the second piece of advice is really about the timing. When to talk to an mm-hmm. investor. I know when I was a founder, I hate talk to VC. I even told my friend, I hate VC, but eventually I become a VC, but I'm trying to be a very different VC, yes. create something very different for the founder. Yeah. But anyway, so another thing is the, I always talk to investor. Now I would put it that way. Don't talk to investor when you're running out of money. Don't try to reach out to invest. Don't start fundraising when you're running out of money. Don't just start fundraising when you have to fundraise. Because that's really the worst timing to start a conversation with investors since investors always look at what is your runway? How many months you are going to run out of capital? Even they're interested in the business, maybe they will start to negotiate different terms, which is not favor to founder. So mm-hmm. always think about start a casual conversation. Even you still have, for example, 12, 18 months of runway. Just have the casual conversation, reach out to the investor said. I don't have near-term plan to fundraising, but I want to introduce myself. I saw you might be interested in my company. Then, you know, use the first initial conversation as a free consulting session to talk to the investor, what you're working on, get feedback, and also get to know each other. Because putting, uh, getting someone to invest your company, the first layer is really building the trust. The second layer is really show the value, align the interest, right? Uh, so use some time, extra time, just very casual interaction to build a trust. When your official start fundraising, then came in saying that, okay, now I start my official fundraising process. This is the data room. This is everything. Happy to answer any questions. Then the closing process will be more efficient. It's more about, you know, long term. Yes, seems like you spend longer time start conversation. But if you look at absolute time and effectiveness, it's much better when you do it that way. So much better, Lou. I could not agree more. Listeners, if you're like, um, wait, how do I start? Where do I go? I've actually uh, recorded webinars on fundraise strategy, how much to fundraise and from who, a walk through a term sheet. Just go to femtechfocus.org, join our virtual community and become a Fem Pro member for only $15 a month. And you can access all of these videos. So I just had to plug that in because if you're trying to feverishly write down notes, definitely go check out those 
webinars, I cover a lot of these topics because I think that founders forget that like, you know, your friends and family round is based on your relationships, right? But then somehow after that, there's no more relationships and that's just not the case. Like every phase is relationships and it does take a lot of time, especially if you're not, your dad's not a VC, right? And you didn't go Mm -hmm. to barbecues with investors. Like you have to, that's what I had to do, right? I had to put in the time, Mm -hmm. put in the work, go to the conferences, volunteer, ask if they needed people to help organize stuff, right? That's how I met people. And they, and they started, saw my candidness, my, my genuineness, my, you know, altruism, and then also my, my intellect, you know, and Mm -hmm. how I think. And so then when I reached back out and said, Hey, I have a deal. They're like, you did good work, kid. Yeah. I want to see, like, let's show me. So uh, build those relationships, get savvy y'all get out there and get to know people and, you know, start that email, start that LinkedIn message saying, Hey, I know I'm too early and I'd like to build this relationship makes the world of difference versus will you fund this? And you're like, did you see their website? <laughs> like we don't fund that stage, but if you just start it with, Hey, I know I'm too early or whatever, like just wanting to build a relationship, it goes so far. Do you agree, Lou? Yeah, totally. And also relate to that, as you mentioned, start reach out and linking email in different channel Mm -hmm. and how to really draft that message is important. One thing is, you know, just the position as one to start introduce yourself. Another Mm -hmm. thing is, also, never write a super long email to do the reach out. Oh my God, please don't. Yeah. Short, short, yeah. short. <laughs> yeah, short, short, short. Bullet points. Bold always highlight colors. the metrics. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> metrics really catch eyes. Like yeah. total market size is this. I'm focusing on this. And the quick differentiation. Like don't afraid of a throwing logo there, right? Yeah. Before yeah. I know everyone hate to be labeled. But on the other side, label is a way for us to quickly get some recognition just to open the conversation. Then you could show authentic yourself. Uh, Throw some logo in to start a conversation. And also when you need a referral, not only just focus on investor referral, also check on founder referral, at least for us. I really value founder referral even more than investor referral because I truly believe good founder knows good founder. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, such good advice. Such good advice. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and uh, talk about one of the risks we're seeing in femtech right now, potentially a risk, but also potentially an opportunity is privacy concerns. You know, with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, we now are seeing, you know, like, well, what are abortion startups going to do? You know, how are Uh they going to get to market? Fertility companies, you know, whether that be egg freezing or IVF, also contraception, you know, IUDs may technically be illegal in some states coming up. As an Uh investor who's interested in deep tech, you even mentioned, you know, fertility as one of your interests. How are you thinking about, you know, risk and what are you anticipating asking founders in terms of their privacy policies? Just kind of give me an inside view into how you're thinking about it. Yeah, so it's a very good question because privacy is really a critical piece of uh, uh, any healthcare company, especially now most of healthcare company had apply AI, had a data play, right? Uh, mm-hmm. now we talk about data become our fast growing asset. Then how to protect this critical asset? Not to mention the political reason, make it more sensitive to protect this privacy. So for us, we really, uh, really, uh, focus on that for any company. For most of the healthcare company we invest that they have a data play. Then we definitely ask the questions, how you make sure you have the proper, you know, protection of the data. Where did you 
storage your data, who owns the data, and what is the business model related to the monetization of the data. I think that's definitely, eventually we need certain regulation for the whole technology industry Mm -hmm. to protect more healthcare data. But meanwhile, there's also more and more good technology be able to help us uh, 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 better address the privacy concern. Uh, meanwhile, still benefit from the new technology innovation. I don't want people just saying that, okay, I'm now using all this new tech platform because I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, risk my data, uh, uh, privacy. There's the technology available. That's also the thing I trying to share the knowledge and, uh, no matter it's to the startup founder or to the investor, even to the potential end user. For example, one of the concerns for the data privacy is when you upload everything to the cloud to do analysis, you know, there's a potential leakage risk, right? Mm -hmm. But now we have a new technology like edge computing. You could process core data locally, not only have low latency or no latency, also a potentially better distributed critical data in different place and better protect our data privacy. So that's one example. Other thing, for example, I recently invested in a company called Rhino House. What they do is a federated learning. So federated learning is a new AI algorithm. Be able to still use the data for uh, algorithm training, but meanwhile, protect the privacy of the data. Basically, hide the identity of the details. So there's a technology like that uh, available in the market working within the hospital already. The last part is really what is the future of uh, using all this different AI to, to process data? Now we always talk about big data, means you need to use huge amount of high quality data to create all this AI solution. But now we have expandable AI, more advanced. We also potentially could have much less core data needed to train a new algorithm. In the future, we may only need 5% or 1% of the data we needed today for lots of the AI in healthcare application. So the risk level is much lower. Mm-hmm. So eventually, as I said, it was still have to, it's always going parallel or move forward on the tech side. We're having more risk in terms of data privacy. We need to have better solution there, including regulation to catch up. But meanwhile, there's lots of solution available on the market and the world shared the knowledge with founders. So founder could adapt all this new technology to their female healthcare. Uh, application to really deliver a great solution. Meanwhile, protect all the users' privacy. Do you think that these data, data privacy solutions are accessible to early stage founders who don't have VC backing? Um, they do. Uh, actually, lots of the technology information uh, and also even the institute who work on that, uh, they're, they're open. They're open for collaboration. Oh, okay. But definitely, you know, VC help mm-hmm. in terms of funding. Right. When yeah. you do any collaboration partnership, there are always capital required. But on the other side, I think, uh, as I mentioned, although we only have a smaller amount of uh, NIH funding, uh, focusing on the application, uh, related to female healthcare, but still mm-hmm. there are some. And also the ratio is continue to grow. One of my, uh, partner in my firm, Shane Wang, he was the former CTO at HP. He also was served as a tech council member for a different administration. And for the tech council, uh, uh, tech, technology, science and technology council, they mainly focus on making the policy to have better allocation, uh, for the NIH or NSF funding mm-hmm. to different type of application. They're always, they're already make great progress, try to prioritize the funding to go to more application focused, uh, research. 
and the project. And now they're also further pushing potentially in the future more capital allocation to, for example, female-related problems. So I think, uh, yeah, there are lots of, although I know the world is so crazy, political environment is so crazy, but there's some silver lining we could still count on. And also as for us, you know, um, besides what I'm doing as a venture capitalist, I'm a strong, strong advocate to support female leadership. I have lots of board seats across early growth late stage company, uh, 12 company or 13 board seats right now. I'm also a board member for several nonprofits just to try to promote more women in the boardroom. We need to have the top-down approach, right? Fundamentally change mm-hmm. the, the rule of the game and also, also the culture of different uh, large corporate, smaller startup. And meanwhile, I'm like a jury board member for like a cardiac woman initiative. There's a, this type of nonprofit are supporting female entrepreneur, female uh, founder focused on social impact, including female healthcare application. And lastly, I really wanted to promote and encourage more female investors who have a technical background, who have a healthcare background, be able to consider, you know, invest more into the technology savvy uh, female healthcare application. You know, we have to make effort in all different aspects, then come back to create a better ecosystem. Yeah, Lou, that actually leads me into my last question, which is about, you know, we kind of mentioned it in the beginning. Why do you think just, you know, from your own personal experiences, your own personal data set, that is your life. Why is it that, you know, females who are technically accredited based on the law are either not investing? I heard some crazy statistic, like less than 1% of all accredited females in the United States have ever cut a check to a startup. So mm-hmm. why do you think we are so adverse to cutting checks? And then moreover, why is it that when the female investors are here, that there is a disproportionate number of them that are investing in more like travel, leisure, you know, CPG versus, you know, AI, software, hard tech, med device? What, what's your personal like perspective on this and how do we shift it? Yeah, I think for the first part of questions, it's really lack of a platform, lack of channel, lack of training. And, uh, yes, uh, cut a check, uh, giving to a founder sounds easy, but on the other side, the due diligence behind it is really require lots of work. I think for, for the boys club, you know, they probably talk to each other. Oh, how I do investment. This is the, you know, there's a, a interesting company came out from this ecosystem. Okay. We'll have this network that we're looking at the deals together. So there's a certain type of uh, community exists for the boys club for them to learn from each other and also be able to have the channel to access to the good founder. And also lots of founder probably might be men as well. But for I think on female side, on one side is uh, we don't have the platform provide uh, very good training to the potential credit uh, female investor to learn how to do investment, right? Female typically wanted to be sure before they do anything, which is a good thing. Then they want to get proper training. So we start to do, third, uh, do, do a program called the VC fellowship since early this year. Ooh. That's a free, free fellowship. I just launched the first cohort. We have probably over 400 people apply. We only admit less than 20. I was joking that I went to Stanford. I'm like, okay, we'll have an even similar kind of administration <laughs> at the uh, <laughs> ratio compared with Stanford. But you know, this is the type of program. We also have the intention to share our internal knowledge to people, whoever is a physician, is a director from a large tech company, or just a small business owner, 
learn how to do tech investment, how to do VC early stage investment. We have share all of our training material, given give them assignment, and they learn so much. And we're very proud to say that we have over 30%, probably 40% are female. We kind of intentionally want to make sure we have a nice diversity there, be able to benefit lots of potential female credit investor. Mm-hmm. So I think they will be great if we have more and more platform to share the knowledge and the training to this potential good uh, future investor. Another thing is uh, create a better network just to create, uh, deliver the deal flow and share the deal flow mm-hmm. uh, for them to help out each other. And for the second part of your questions, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's still the case. And uh, I was on this list of like a uh, best 25 early stage female investor last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then I did not realize that until later, one of my partners said, oh, Lou, do you know you're the only one focused on deep tech and healthcare within yeah. the whole like 25 female investor. Yeah. All other are like more consumer, yeah. which I understand because it all came from people's background. Right? I also look at the market opportunity. So I really think uh, we really wanted to promote more uh, technical background female. For example, like you, if you consider become become an investor, you definitely naturally wanted to look at interesting tech savvy AI hardcore mm-hmm. healthcare company. We also wanted to promote more kind of institutional investor uh, recruit female investor who have a technical background. Yeah, uh, there are lots of a great you know female uh, female tech entrepreneur or female even scientist. Uh, they're starting to consider investing. I think that's a really good trend. The last part is, I think everything starts from entrepreneur community. We need to help and support more female healthcare-focused founder to be successful. Mm-hmm. Once they had a successful exit, I'm like, consider come back to be a VC. Yeah. I know you hate a VC. I hate a VC too. <laughs> but only if we... But we have to change it, right? Yep. We cannot just uh, live the community said, I want to, I don't want to deal with it anymore. We yep. need to come back to change the culture, to show our muscle, to show our power. Then eventually, you know, this ecosystem going to be very different. Lou, you are incredible. I can't wait to read your book one day. I know it's in the works. I'm, I didn't even know that, <laughs> but I, I just assume it is. Um, thank you so much for your insights, um, your advice, your, your input. Last question is, uh, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? I think the first, it's really just need a capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably a couple of years ago, people would say that, okay, we need more uh, qualified, high quality female founder. Not anymore. In oh, the past couple of yes. years, I see so many great founder focus on female healthcare. It's not only just a female founder. For example, the Derek from Cosmetic, as I mentioned, it's a man. It's a he for she. Yes. So there's more and more founder realize it is, it is a huge underserved market. Huge. There's a tons of opportunity. And also look at healthcare in general, look at the female tech in general. It's a huge market opportunity, but underserved. So there are lots of the great founder addressing this issue already. And we need more capital and also capital who understand the life cycle and also market opportunity to come in to help them, to support them. We're doing that, but we're only one fund. There are also more and more fund. They're considered doing that. I hope there will be more capital professional one could come in. I think that's the most uh, important thing uh, to help the fintech as an industry to be successful. Yeah. I think second thing is really the explore the different uh, business model, be able to better engage uh, uh, payers like insurance mm-hmm. company, pharma company to create the smart business model instead of, uh, 
I think lots of people only think about the B2C direct-to-consumer when yeah. talk about femtech. But no, how about we could engage pharma company to provide them better data to generate and produce better uh, uh, precision medication for focus on female-related disease? How about for insurance company, right? With aging population, there's a 50% population is female. And how to better engage the payer to become a strong, you know, driving force in this uh, uh, initiative. So I think that's another important part. I need lots of work. And we're doing that. I'm seeing lots of funders doing that as well. It's important to share our knowledge, share our report with them to also help educate them. Uh, we have this CXO network. Uh, I launched this since 2018. Now we have 42 CTO from Global One Southern Company and over one third are from the healthcare sector, including some insurance company. So every quarter when we do an industry research report, we share knowledge with them. And recently we just did our female tech, female tech, uh, female healthcare tech industry report. We share with them. They were quite impressed and they did not realize how big the underserved market it is. Oh so I God. think things like that, information, knowledge like that, including what you're doing right now. Yeah. I really love when you mentioned about you have specific webinar teach the founder to do fundraising. You also have this great episode to share the knowledge, not only to wow. founder. This is great resources for other big industry players to learn about opportunity here. So, yeah. yeah. It's so funny, you know, what my job is, is that I just walk around and ask people if they considered sex as a variable. It's not <laughs> like that's literally all I do. And it blows people's minds. I gave a, yeah. a TED talk at Pfizer and that's what uh-huh. my talk was about. Have you considered sex in your experiments? And Pfizer employees around the world were like, oh my God, I have to relook at my data, which is like, go me. But also, oh my God, I can't believe no one asked this question yet. <laughs> so um, I also love how you said like it's evolved from we needed better founders to now it's capital. I've been asking this question, what is tech need to succeed to over 180 guests in the last two and a half years of the show. And it's really interesting. I actually track the answers as like a mm-hmm. trend. And uh, the first year, 2020, all the answers are usually around awareness. We need more mm-hmm. awareness. People don't know what femtech is. They don't know the opportunity. And now the answer has converted into capital. Like we know yep. we're here. We're doing awesome, but we got to get funding. So really cool. Really, really cool. Lou, you are amazing. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much for having me. Really great initiative we're putting here together. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my interview with Lu Zhang, the founder and managing partner of Fusion Fund. Learn more about the fund at fusionfund.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Femtech Focus newsletter, join our virtual community, and follow us on social media. Share the show with a friend and continue to advocate for women's health innovation, because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.